Children of God, it's time to take off your shoes, step out of your comfort zone, and wade with trust into the stream of God's mercy. Stand still for a moment, barefoot, on holy ground. Let the healing waters wash your feet. Take a deep breath as love soaks into your soul. We give praise to our God who knew us before we had breath. We delight in the Lord who guides us still. God, help us to live as you would have us live. Give us obedient hearts. As we gather today to worship, we know injustice rains down on your people. Disturb us, God, so that we may act justly. As we celebrate this day, we know so many who suffer needlessly. Use us, God, as your hands of mercy. As we move through our day following our own agendas, remind us, God, to walk humbly with you. When we pass through deep waters or go through times of fiery trial, the Lord our God is with us. With confidence in God, our Creator and Redeemer, let us confess our sin. Merciful God, in your gracious presence, we confess our sin and the sin of this world. Although Christ is among us as our peace, we are a people divided against ourselves as we cling to the values of a broken world. The profit and pleasures we pursue lay waste the land and pollute the seas. The fears and jealousies that we harbor set neighbor against neighbor and nation against nation. We abuse your good gifts of imagination and freedom of intellect and reason, and have turned them into bonds of oppression. Lord, have mercy on us. Heal and forgive us. Set us free to serve you in the world as agents of your reconciling love in Jesus Christ. Do not fear, says the Lord, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name, and you are mine. God is doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. By the grace of Jesus Christ, we are forgiven. Thanks be to God. The peace of Christ be with you and flow through you. So be it. Amen. Friends, our scripture reading comes from the book of Micah, chapter 6, verses 1 through 8. Hear what the Lord is saying. Arise, lay out the lawsuit before the mountains. Let the hills hear your voice. Hear, mountains, the lawsuit of the Lord. Hear, eternal foundations of the earth. The Lord has a lawsuit against her people. With Israel, she will argue. My people, what did I ever do to you? How have I wearied you? Answer me. I brought you up out of the land of Egypt. I redeemed you from the house of slavery. I sent Moses, Aaron, and Miriam before you. 
my people remember what Moab king Balak had planned and how Balaam, Beor's son, answered him. Remember everything from Shittim to Gilgal that you might learn to recognize the righteous acts of the Lord. With what should I approach the Lord and bow down before God on high? Should I come before him with entirely burnt offerings, with year-old calves? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with many torrents of oil? Should I give my oldest child for my crime, the fruit of my body for the sin of my spirit? He has told you, human one, what is good and what the Lord requires from you, to do justice, embrace faithful love, and walk humbly with your God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. In February 2018, on the day that happened to be both Ash Wednesday and Valentine's Day, a gunman walked into Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School in Parkland, Florida, and took the lives of 17 people and injured 17 more in just six minutes. I remember hearing about this as soon as the news hit, and I remember being so angry for yet another senseless, unnecessary act of gun violence especially as it came not long after two other mass shootings in Las Vegas and Sutherland Springs, Texas. In the ashes of that day, students from Stoneman Douglas, in their grief, anger, and frustration began to organize, to do something, to proclaim loudly to everyone, never again. Not one more death, not one more mass shooting, not one more day of being afraid to go to school. Those voices included David Hogg, Alfonso Calderon, Emma Gonzalez, Jacqueline Corrin, Ryan Deitch, Sarah Chadwick, Cameron Caskey, and Alex Wind. And together, alongside of many other students, they formed Never Again MSD, a student-led, nonpartisan organization dedicated to advocating for gun control and eradicating gun violence. Gonzalez became one of the most prominent leaders after her We Call BS speech went viral, which led to thousands of Americans joining with her in calling BS on our nation's inability to protect children, on our fetish with guns, and on the hypocrisy of thoughts and prayers toward gun violence victims from our leaders who simultaneously take millions from organizations like the NRA that are harming so many people. It was a call to action, yes, of asking our leaders to do better, to do more for our children. But it was also apocalyptic, a word often mistakenly misunderstood, but one that actually means revealing. In her speech and in the movement, she revealed the truths of our corrupt society, particularly corrupt political leaders that have neglected kindness, community, and morality in favor of power, greed, and individualism. This is a corruption that needs to be called out, that requires us all to move, to vote, in the direction of a just society for all. When we talk about prophets, both the prophets from ancient times and the prophets of today, like Emma Gonzalez, are who we were talking about. Prophets are commonly confused with being fortune tellers or future predictors, but that is not really what prophets are. While forms of divination, like casting lots and dream interpretation, were part of the vocation of some prophets in the Bible, 
their function as intermediaries between the divine and the human world were to speak God's truth into reality. Prophets are actually truth-tellers, those who see and proclaim things as they really are, past, present, and future, and who challenge their community to both accept that reality and imagine a better one. They, guided and inspired by the spirit, are social commentators, system jammers, empire resistors, and perpetrators of civil disobedience. The Bible, our scripture, is filled with prophets, supporting the way that Rachel Held Evans rightly calls scripture resistance literature. Prophets appear as early as Genesis, in people like Abraham, who heard God's call and later calls for God's people to repent for their injustice, all the way to Revelation where the author John writes not about the end times, but social commentary on the present, particularly on the evils of empire. But we also have a number of books who are named after prophets and recount their stories and their prophecies. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and Daniel are included there, as well as the Book of Lamentations. There are also the minor prophets, all of those books toward the end of the Christian Old Testament with all those funky names, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, who we read today, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi. They are called the minor prophets not because, or because their messages within the canon are short, but don't worry, their messages are still clear and powerful. Prophets often get misconstrued with fortune tellers because they seem to talk a lot about the future in terms of what will happen if we continue on this way. But it is a prediction, not because they know for sure exactly what will happen, but because they have seen visions of what could happen if we continue in our problematic, unjust patterns. They know that we will bring destruction on ourselves. Or within the prophet's just theodicy, God will bring judgment upon those who are living unjust lives. They are elevating the problem of the status quo and the danger of the phrase, this is how it has always been. Old Testament scholar Walter Brueggemann writes, it is the vocation of the prophet to keep alive the ministry of imagination, to, continue, or to keep conjuring and proposing futures alternative to the single one the king wants to urge as the only thinkable one. They are change agents for the good of the whole community change agents urging us to live and love as God is calling us to do. The prophets directed their most stinging critiques at the leaders of their own community. Over and over and over again, the pattern of scripture is a constant critique of the leaders who grow greedy and hungry with power at the expense of the people they are supposed to care about. A lot of their critiques were directed to the people of God and to the kings of Israel who know the law and who are actively ignoring it or refusing to listen. And many of their critiques were to their powerful enemies, the Assyrian Empire a little bit, but mostly the Babylonian Empire in the Hebrew Bible, and later in the New Testament, the Roman Empire, who are also opposing the ways of God, not in ignoring the law, per se, but in their catastrophic violence, oppression, and injustice. But prophets did, too, speak to the people as well, particularly as it relates to also leading unjust lives, if you see a pattern here, and to idolatry and straying from the law. It's helpful to think of it this way. 
one of the most important questions facing the people who gave us the Bible was, how do we resist Babylon, both as an exterior force that opposes the ways of God and an interior pull that tempts us with imitation and assimilation? In this chapter of Micah, we are faced with a prophet's critique, God's critique, of the people as opposed to the political leaders. Our setting is a courtroom, with God bringing a lawsuit against her people. But God is not a righteous, angry, accusing lawyer. She is in a state of heartfelt bewilderment. The people have forgotten their story of Moses, of Balaam, of deliverance, fallen out of right relationship with God and therefore right relationship with each other. This text emerges from God's deep disappointment with people who have failed to live into the kind of just community God imagines, where offerings are made while aggressive land practices and exploitative policies that generate wealth at the expense of the vulnerable continue. What is critiqued is the exclusive attention paid to religious faith without the ethical obedience that faith requires, a reality that if continued will lead to downfall and destruction. But the people don't quite get that. Micah gives us this list of almost sarcastic means of genuine worship, of sacrifices that reflect Israel's tradition but aren't really part of it, especially by the end with the mention of child sacrifice. But it accumulates in the end when we get one of these golden verses of the Bible. He has told you, human one, what is good and what the Lord requires from you, to do justice, embrace faithful love, and walk humbly with your God. This truth-telling prophet is just here reminding everyone of what they already know. You are not living justly. Justice must be commutative, with right relationships between members of the community. It must be distributive, ensuring equitable distribution of goods, benefits, and burdens. And it must be social, ensuring that there is a social order necessary for distributive justice. This kind of justice, a, transform, a transformative value that seeks to establish or restore community, is not present in Micah's context. He reminds them, too, you are not embracing faithful love, pursuing genuine affection and ethical love for your neighbor, nor are you walking humbly with God, living in faith with reverence and openness to how God is leading and being willing to sacrifice ease and comfort for the good of, as we would say in Christianity, God's whole kingdom. In other words, Micah is calling BS on the worship of ancient Israel because it is an empty piety that neglects the most vulnerable among them. When we read a little bit more into the biblical prophets, we might come to realize that their words toward, ancient, toward the ancient world and ancient kings are often just as prevalent today as they were thousands of years ago. While Micah is speaking to the context of ancient Israel, Emma reminds us that these are still words that we need to hear today too. That we need to do justice in the specific form of gun, con in the specific form of gun control reform. That we need to embrace loving kindness and make decisions that will allow for the flourishing of our children in the safety of school. That we need to walk humbly and make sacrifices for the good of all. And that guns can no longer be our God. Telling the truth of corruption, of greed, of neglect, of people, of systems that harm many and benefit few is not an ancient practice. It is most definitely a modern one. In case it isn't clear, the students and Stoneman Douglas are prophets. 
they are truth tellers, they are refusing to accept, accept the status quo and are imagining a better future than their present reality that took the lives of their friends and peers. They aren't necessarily religious prophets, but they are in line with God's loud proclamation of justice that supersedes our barriers of diversity. They are resisting the empires for a better and just world for all. Whether or not that explicitly names God doesn't make it any less in line with God's will, I don't think. The story of Stoneman Douglas is but one example of the ways that prophets are not only in our midst, but that they are called and that they are necessary. Because while our God is active and guiding us, we know that the forces of evil take, hold, take deep hold of us and our systems. We'll hear from many of these voices, many prophets throughout this sermon series. Voices that I hope you will join into as well, because you too are prophets. You are also truth tellers, truth revealers in your passions and call to change the world as it currently is. This is yet another reminder that the story isn't over, that God is still speaking. A theological claim that not only is scripture relevant today, but that we are learning new things from it, from God, from our prophets who are still speaking to the powers and principalities in our midst, and that God still speaks through us, that God is present with us, partnering with us in new, hopeful, and faithful ways. So in the next few weeks, let us listen to the still speaking voices of God around us, in us, and through us. Let us do justice, embrace loving kindness, and walk humbly with God, and keep calling BS, because in that, there is hope. There is radical love and change that can come from this movement, that God is turning the world around with us, among us, and through us. Amen. Our Mother in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, as we forgive those who sin against us. Save us from the time of trial, and deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours now and forever. Amen. The biblical prophets frequently find themselves saddled with the unpopular task of uttering God's no in a world that only wants to hear yes. We speak of this table as a table of welcome, a table of God's yes, and it is that, but it's also a table of judgment. It is God's powerful yes, which is made possible only by God's equally powerful no. Yes, you are welcome here, no matter who you are and where you are on life's journey. No, you may not sully this table's welcome by accepting it for yourself while refusing welcome to others. In order to be yes to all creation, this table must also be no to racism, sexism, classism, ageism, nationalism. It must be no to xenophobia, homophobia, and transphobia. No to any ideology, philosophy, or fear that divides God's people up into us and them. 
Now pay attention to the nuance in this. It's not no to the people who have espoused those ideas. It is the ideas themselves which may never have a seat at Christ's table. Only in refusing to leave our exclusivist, separatist, and assimilationist ideas and actions behind will we hear Christ's powerful no as we approach this table. Christ's table has one rule, and it is oneness. To eat of this common loaf and drink of this common cup is to proclaim the sovereign unity of the kingdom of God. So let us examine ourselves and then with hearts and lives turned to Christ's radical welcome, come together as one body, one blood, one spirit in our one Lord. If you desire to take part in the radical welcome that is Christ's, without qualification, you are invited and welcome to do so here. Beloved, the Lord Jesus on the night of his arrest, took bread, and after giving thanks to God, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take, eat, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant sealed in my blood, poured out for you for the forgiveness of sins. Whenever you drink it, do this in remembrance of me. Friends, every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the saving death of our risen Lord until he comes again. And surely he will come again. Beloved, these are the gifts of God for each and every one of us, the people of God. Thanks be to God.